Welcome to another episode of Adoption, The Making of Me. I'm Louise Brown. And I'm Sarah Reinhardt. Make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Adoption, The Making of Me podcast. You can also find us at our website, adoptionthemakingofme.com. And please remember to subscribe, share, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Louise. Here we are for another chapter review of Journey of the Adopted Self. BJ Lifton. Yep. (laughs) We are on to some heavy stuff. I mean, this is 30 pages, this chapter. Yeah, it was an intense one. I had to read it in in (sighs) pieces, you know. Me too. It wasn't a full thing. So the alternate reality, this kind of, I thought about you more than me in this chapter, but it starts off really... It's like Alice in the Wonderland. I like how she said that it's really about reunion, right? With the birth mother and mm-hmm. birth families, but mostly the mother. So you find this, this birth mother and it's going to be wonderful, but it's really not maybe for everybody all the way through because everyone goes into their, their past, you know, someone right. becomes Regression. the traumatized young woman and someone becomes a traumatized baby. Well, and here she pretty much said it. No matter how positive the reunion, there is a psychological price paid by both parties in the process. As the poet Anna Akmakadov said in another context, there is no glue to put lives together at the place they have been cut off. Yeah. I mean, really, because she has so many examples in here of people entering reunion. I thought more of you because I didn't meet my biological mom. And I thought of you and how you went through your own thing. Like, you're having regret about it because she's died. But at the time it was very common to almost all these stories. Like, right. Well, it was for me and I got, I was very close to my sisters. Yeah. Still have sisters and still feel that bond. There was a lot of interesting stuff I found in here. Like there was one adoptee that was sad, you know, like her birth mother had another biological child and they were obviously really close and intimate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I had that too, as I was reading this, I just thought, about that not belonging thing, even, you know, so even then finding and feeling like, oh, I found these kindred spirits and look at how much we mirror each other and how much I look like them and how our personalities are similar and our laughs and our humor. But at the end of the day, there was a whole lifetime without me. Um, And then, you know, in my adoptive family, like never belonging really anywhere. And I think reunion can sometimes highlight that no matter how close you get. Uh, I think it's almost like you go through a second growing up, you know, like mm-hmm. she, she talked about the limbo stage that after adoptees search reunion or are searched out, there's this limbo in both your families, what you're talking about. Now mm-hmm. you're kind of on your own to mother yourself, as she put it. Yeah. And it really, I thought of you with that. I thought of all the adoptees we've met on this podcast and like so many stories where the birth mother, it's so great at the beginning, or they meet them and it's so disappointing, but they don't want to feel that disappointment and the rejection part of it, where everyone pushes each other. There was one lady in here who wanted nothing more than to be hugged by the birth mother. But then when she'd hug her, she'd be like, Oh, don't hug me. Cause it's yes. Like Like I've talked about, I I think for me too, it was obviously years before we started doing this or that I'd read anything about adoption. So I just had this, I felt this loyalty, you know, not really founded, but it's just the way that that goes feeling 
like you owe your adoptive family something, regardless of whether or not that yeah. makes sense or is warranted or any of those things. It is. Um, it's the loyalty thing is big. It's it's entrenched. I think from the minute people start saying, "Oh my gosh, aren't you lucky? Or you found the you're in the best family," and then you start thinking. I just think it's so deep down. I have that too. The loyalty thing is very big for me. I feel guilty even having this podcast and we've had it for a year, you know, the, <laughs> like, and then I, I'm like, uh, no, I'm allowed to have this podcast. You know, it's a very tearing thing for an adoptee. She gets into these stages. I thought this was interesting. I don't know how you felt about it, but she talked about like, infancy. what page are you on? Oh, or... sorry. Uh, I know there's so many in this 148, yeah. 148. Okay. Where she kind of does the stages of like infancy and then the toddler years, almost like the adoptees regress. There's some extreme things people are going through. Yeah. I and think, you know, I was, Becker was only, I think eight months old when they came to stay with me. So I had, had all that going on. And then, so it was three of them staying with me in the loft and, you know, you almost can't fled. <laughs> yeah. He's like, uh, <laughs> way too much go to the studio. So, (laughs) so yeah, I don't really remember again, because I didn't, I wasn't aware that I should be paying attention to, or thinking about this on any deeper level. Me neither. I had, I had a reunion with my biological mom's family and Jack was little. I was going through a lot of crisis in my own life. And I wish I could kind of do a rewind and have yeah. known everything I know now and to go into it in a healthy manner. I don't know if there is a healthy manner because I think you re- you regress and go through all these things anyway, but just knowing what I know, because I really entered in then at first I didn't enter it, total rejector. Then I entered in, then I sort of hurt everyone's feelings because I'm like, oh yeah, I can't be here. So I just, in my way, I just stopped communicating. That's what I do. So that's probably fun for them. You know, I, and so I'm thinking, I'm sad that I didn't meet Linda. I think about it all the time. Cause I love to know her now. Like I think about her, I feel like I do know her, but in some ways I can almost keep her in a certain place that I'm not going through this. Yeah. I'm glad I did. You know, I say that I have regret, but then I'm thinking back to, you know, the last year of Tilda's life. And we, I felt like I reached another level with her. And then I was there I went and said goodbye to her before she died. And, you know, we'd have these long talks on the phone at night. So I, uh-huh. I'm really grateful for all that, but it was definitely complicated. And yeah, I don't, I feel like I wasn't able to give as much as she wanted me to give emotionally. And, you know, it's, tr- it's tricky as this whole chapter, 30 pages of it <laughs> talks about how tricky it is. And how BJ Lifton withdrew from her own biological uh-huh. mom when she met her. And then yep. when she, she kind of got her, I don't forget how she put it, but she got her stuff together. It took her a bit to figure it out and look what she's involved in in life. Right. And mm-hmm. then when she did reach out to her birth mother, she was like, not that interested in reopening that relationship always. They never really got back to that, that reunion part. And so I think this is probably, I think Hollywood and and people's stories and people magazine, I think about this a lot, make reunions like the end of it, right. exciting and everybody's happy. And I think it's actually can be, the be- just the beginning and yeah. kind of the worst part. Sometimes the emotional stuff that comes up, it's big. Yeah. And yet a, another paradoxical situation, one set out to find the missing mother in order to find the missing part of the self. But in the process, one loses the fantasies that were a vital part of the self. Yeah. 
Like um, I still have the fantasies. And, and I hear it says here at some point adoptees realize that they cannot fully be their birth mother's child any more than they were fully their adoptive oh, mother's that's child. Quote. Yeah. That just, so here we are really kind of motherless children. And, yeah. um, you know, we really are. And the part that she also talked about with that was the chaos it creates in everyone's life. Like there's an emotional chaos that goes on, but not just emotional, but it kind of starts to hijack your life. So like an adoptee, maybe in a really good part of their life where they feel, okay, I've kind of got my life figured out. Then they have reunion and their life becomes chaotic again. Mm -hmm. And starting to open up to other things that might affect your marriage, your job, whatever. But some of the examples, like, I feel like people really need to pick up this book and read people's stories. There was one story where the adoptee left her husband in order to spend Yes. This, all this time with the birth mother, you know, traveling around and doing stuff and then kind of lapsing in memory of what the end result was. I don't think it was good. Yeah. <laughs> the end result <laughs> of that story was that she put too much time in, and then the birth mother, I think was the one who pulled away. Moral because- story. Never do that to anybody. Never <laughs> give up. <laughs> You and I have talked so much about that. <laughs> Regardless of adoption, never give up everything to follow someone else around. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the big thing. Well, we have a really big guest coming up. So do you want to continue? There's a couple things. I think she's going to tie in so much to this. I think so too. I have one more quote that really stood out to me. We are betrayers of our adoptive parents when we search for our birth mother and betrayers of our birth mother when we search for our birth father, Ah, which I thought was an interesting piece of that. Uh, You know, I'm kind of on this thing with searching for my birth father, but I have a lot of weird guilt around that towards all sorts of people, not just, not just my own father I was raised with who I, I couldn't have done this. You know, I couldn't have done this closer to my father's death because we were so close but now I feel like there's a grace from him and he's gone and that's okay. But then I have this weird, like, do I tell my, well, though I can hear it on the podcast. Do I tell my biological mom's side? Cause are they fans of his? I don't know. It might be trained them because he hurt her type of thing. I mean, I'm thinking that's none of anyone's business, right? But it is kind of already in my head, honestly. And I'm trying not my husband reminded me yesterday, you're not a fixer in this. You're a participant and you get to feel what you feel. And I'm like, you're right. Oh, yes. And that's good advice. <laughs> if yes, I can handle you, it. <laughs> you were the innocent baby and that's I feel all like their, a baby that's all their stuff. Let yeah. leave it, leave it. Yeah. I'm, I am disappointed. My birth father died before me too. I ever got to meet him. I'm disappointed too. I, I wish we could have, because then we'd know all four, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like you didn't get to know him. I I didn't get to know Linda and I will see where it goes with, I won't say his name, but yeah, my birth father. <laughs> okay. Well, let's move on to our guest. Cause that yeah. is, she's a big one. She is. She's got I, a big story. In other words, she really does. I think it's going to just blow people's minds. So see you soon. Yeah. See you soon. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Louise and I talked about it for months and we were intimidated until we heard about Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is hands down the best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. Podcasting isn't hard. Believe me, if Louise and I could figure it out, anyone can. We got a mic, some headphones, 
parked ourselves in our closets and that was it. Buzzsprout did the rest. You get a great looking podcast website and you can track all of your analytics to see how your podcast is doing. So if you follow the link in our show notes, it lets Buzzsprout know we sent you and you get a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. And bonus, you help support our show. Hi, I'm just going to break in here. As a friend of the podcast and a fellow Patreon, I want to join Louise and Sarah in thanking everyone who has reached out. Frankly, I've been astounded at the number of listeners from across the world who have shared their unique stories with our podcasters. I believe in the healing power of stories. As a Patreon, I've found such pleasure in supporting the podcast and in seeing how adoptees find their people. I know how much Louise and Sarah are moved by each Patreon support. Their immediate goal is to be able to air the podcast weekly rather than bi-weekly. Eventually, they would like to advocate for more effective ways of adopting children. If you would like to support this important work, either once or in an ongoing way, simply go to patreon.com, then in the search bar, type adoption colon the making of me. Thank you all, each in your own way, for bringing us together. And now let's rejoin our hosts. Hello, welcome to another episode. Really excited to introduce you today to our guest. She started listening to our podcast kind of in a random way and then burned through all the episodes and witnessed our slow coming out of the fog, that process. Really happy to introduce you, Carolina Khan. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. As you just mentioned, I've listened to all of them and it has been such an eye-opening experience. The fact that you're getting this out there, the message, and you're getting people to be able to talk about, you know, the behind the scenes of adoption is what I like to refer it as. So thank you for doing this and having me. Well, thank you so much. We're, we're excited that you're here and your story really, we knew a little bit about it because you submitted to us. And so we're excited to hear about it. So just maybe start from the beginning. Okay. The most important thing for me in telling my story is to demonstrate all the aspects of adoption that being the adoptive parent, the natural mother, and the adoptee, the triad. I'm looking forward to telling my story, but I also want, I really want to talk about how everyone in that triad is impacted and how in the uh, adoption process that I went through, the highlights are the adoptive mother, parent, family, and the adoptee, and the adoption story. And it's just really important to keep all those parts of the adoption process in the forefront because growing up as an adoptee, there's such an impact of not having my natural mom and not being able to talk to her because it wasn't in the forefront. There weren't books about it. There wasn't any instruction about adoption. So I was adopted from Colombia. My adoptive parents actually flew out to Colombia to get me. And when they went out there, I was living at a foster home at that point. 
It was July of 1979 when my adoptive mom got the phone call that I was there. And how old were you? Uh, About 18 months. So before that, my adoptive mom, given her little background, once I was adopted, I have two older brothers that are their natural children. I came across this article, and this is the only thing that I'm holding my little prop from adoption. It's a newspaper article that my adoptive mom found. It's dated August 1st, 1976. And the title of it is Foreign Adopters Prove a Joy That Endures with No Regrets. So this was has been tucked in in my baby book. And until about three days ago, I've never read it. I have never read it. The title was a bit much. And there's also these pictures of these kids. There's the child that's adopted, the child that's not adopted. Oh, yeah. And it yes. shows these pictures and it's talking about like the happiness that they're experiencing as adoptees and the articles talk about how this child they got from Korea, they changed the name to joy and the mother's very pleased because the, the child's very likes instruments because she's a, she's a music teacher. And it just talks and talks about the adoptive mother and the joy that is occurring in the process of adoption the solution to not being able to have your natural children is adoption, okay? And the adoption world did not have the information. They didn't have books like Primal Womb to refer to. So my biggest thing is with telling my story and about my adoptive parents and my brothers, it's more like I can't help but feel like an understanding to my adoptive mother because she really wasn't informed. What she was informed is you want to have a daughter. You can't have a daughter naturally or you have difficulty pregnancies adopt. And so. Yeah. And look at these wonderful newspaper articles. Yeah. And so it's sort of like blindly being instructed to do something so massive. So. Going back to my story is I remember bits and pieces of my childhood, but my childhood was filled with tons of family parties, Christmas, Easter, Halloween, pumpkin picking, apple picking. Just quickly, you went from Columbia to where? A town called Elma. It's outside of Buffalo. It's like a south town of Buffalo, New York. So were you with your natural mother for those first 18 months? I didn't have any of that information. So when my parents adopted me and went to Kali, my mom, my adoptive mom said that she went to the foster father and asked if if he had any information about where I came from, because she's going to be asking. According to my mom, more or less said, you know, that's not the most important. What's important is that you have your daughter now. So he kind of like skirted the issue. So and your mom did ask him and they are just like part of the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I came to Buffalo. I obviously I was about 18 months. I don't remember that. My family had a huge party. The day, like I said, in July of 79, the day my mom got that phone call, she literally ran out of her house and into the neighborhood and was like screaming, I have my daughter. I have my daughter. 
like it was a huge deal. And even prior to me coming, she had a baby shower. It was made into as if she was naturally having a baby, you know, like those, the ritual behind it. I actually asked my brother, who's seven years older than me recently. And I said, do you remember when I came? Like, what was that like? And my sister-in-law, who make a long story short, she lived down the street. They ended up marrying, obviously, later in life. But she knew me then, too. And she's like, I just remember your mom dressed you up in dresses. And every like she just finally had her girl. So my earliest memories, I just always knew because my brothers had dirty blonde hair, hazel eyes. And then there's me with this long jet black hair, olive complaint. I was like, you know, you know, I just always felt it. Your one brother was seven years older. How old was the other brother? He's two years older. So I was told that I was adopted pretty early. I want to say about six or seven. I can remember it as if it was yesterday when I was told I was adopted And my mother said to me, and it was just my mom, my dad wasn't there. And she said, your mom loved you so much that she gave you up for adoption. And that's so confusing. Yeah. yeah, Most of us heard that, right? And it's, yeah. yeah. Hearing as an adult, I'm like, that's so confusing to tell someone. And uh, the other thing I remember is that I immediately said to my mom, like, but where's my real mom? And she was like, I am your mom. The person who gave birth to you is in Columbia. Like, we don't know. And she said, this is her name. She gave me her name. And she said, it's most likely not was made up. It was probably not a real name. And she explained that like a lot of the documents are made up in order for there to be an adoption process. So my adoptive parents really did a lot of, they had to, hire a lawyer out in Colombia. They had to write to social services in Colombia. This is years and years. They had home visits, social services come into their house, doing home visits, interviewing my oldest brother, things like that. So there was so much prep going into it. And honestly, the July of 79 was like the end of another year. So they would have to renew all the paperwork. And she was just about over. It was like three years of paperwork and communicating with Columbia. And and again, communicating with Columbia today is a lot different than it was in 79. So it was all handwritten letters. One thing I remember she told me is that with adopting a child from the U.S., there's a chance that the mom could change her mind, which was like another kind of yeah a, a message to me was like, oh, oh you know, because that would be bad, right? So... You know, one of the things I wanted to convey in sharing my story is the experience I had growing up. I remember just this feeling, like, like I said, there was a lot of good things like family parties. I was involved in softball pretty much in a very young age. I just took to baseball and softball. And when good things were happening, I never could emotionally connect to happiness. Like Mm. there was always like this feeling of something is off and I don't know what it is. And it just was like something like going to the, uh, going to the store and forgetting something, but not knowing what it is kind of thing. Like every, something was just missing. 
I luckily with my story in terms of like schools and the other kids around me, no one has ever made fun of me for being adopted. Like I've never, thank God. But the one thing they did pick on me about was the color of my skin and called me names. And that was really difficult and confusing as, as all, because I didn't understand cruelty like that. I just didn't, I knew I, there was something different, something missing. I felt sadness for no reason. At least I told myself, like, it just never made sense. And, you know, like growing up, one of the things that kind of stood up for me was if I was getting scolded and sent to my room, you know, and I was probably being a little kid, getting into something I shouldn't have and get sent to my room. I remember being mad at my natural mom and thinking, if you only kept me, I would not be getting in trouble. Like my mind would just be working overtime. It wasn't like, oh, my mom and dad got mad at me. I'm in my room. It was, I'm in my room now. If only I had my mom. Because if, if I was with my mom, this wouldn't have happened. And then sometimes it would work the other way where I would be mad at my natural mom when my adoptive mom would be really nice to me. Because it was like, there was just like this distance with people. And one of the things that is so important when adopting someone is that you're adopting someone else's child. That is so important because it's like, you can't pretend that that doesn't exist and expect a child to just take that in. It's very, very confusing. It's very difficult because it's like, there was this unknown reason why I was just sad. Did you have any memories of before? No, I had no memories of Columbia. So a lot, in a lot of ways, it was like I was teleported. Like I just showed up and, and amongst people that didn't look like me. In Buffalo. Yeah. I remember my neighbors across the street, they had like this exchange student program over the summer. And I can't remember what country they were from, but they were all Spanish speaking. And my neighbor used to call them the girls. And it was the year that La Bamba came out. Mm. And my neighbor invited me over because they were from a Spanish speaking country. And I went over and back then I was much shyer, but I went over and they were just all the girls who were like in their teens. So to me, they were like grown women. I was like, I was like eight, nine years old. They were just dancing around singing La Bamba. And I was just like so in awe. I loved the exposure, but it was sort of like something I just didn't talk about. You know, I didn't express anything about it. Did you have any understanding of their language at all? It's interesting you ask that. Mm -hmm. Understanding of language and the language being familiar are two different things because Later, I was about 21. I went to Ecuador for a wedding. A friend of mine married an Ecuadorian woman, and I went to the wedding. And while all the younger crowd with me were downstairs hanging out and doing whatever, I stayed upstairs and listened to the family at the dining room. They were all talking. And I'll tell you what, I didn't understand 90%, 95% of what was said, but it was so soothing. It was so relaxed. I just sat there. I'm like, oh, I just love this. It's just, it's something familiar to me. 
that early, um, that early exposure, not my son has a Spanish speaking father and he'd always listen to Spanish music or just little things yeah. that even now soothe him right. as a, just hearing things that remind him of something he heard when he was little. I mean, yeah. it's, you probably yeah. have more in there than, you know, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I was always drawn to this queen's accent and, yes. you know, and very inexplicably and, you know, and then come to find out I spent nine months in utero in Queens. Yeah. Wow. All those wow. things are, they're yeah. deep. Yeah. So to fast forward my adolescence, I wanted to touch upon that because what had happened in my adolescence is like that feeling of like disconnect and feeling of sadness. It almost like got bigger. So I remember it was most likely my freshman and sophomore year in high school, I would actually keep track. Like I would have what I would call like three good days and then one bad day. And the bad day was just this feeling of doom and feeling of sadness. And I believe it's a lot having to do with just being things that were reminders, like just wanting to, to be able to understand what it was I was feeling, but not being able to. It would have been like, I think my junior year in high school, I was in my high school at lunch and I completely lost it. Like I had like this meltdown where I was just crying uncontrollably, just completely uncontrollably. And my friends called the guidance counselor and the guidance counselor met with me, took me aside. And she's like, are you okay? What's going on? Like something going on at home. I had a boyfriend at the time. Was everything okay with that? And everything was, yeah, everything's fine. But I don't know. I can't stop crying. It's just like, and my guidance counselor called my best friend at the time to meet with me in this room we were at. And I said the same thing to her. And that and was like, I just don't know what it is, but I just feel so sad. I feel so lost. I was after school and I just felt exhausted. And I was on the bus and all of a sudden, boom, it hit me. It's my mom. I miss my mom. I'm having, like, it's her. It just came to me. And, you know, like, when I think about this and I talk about this, it's like, I'm really proud of myself to, like, that young to just, like, it's her. So when I got home, right when I realized it was my natural mom that I was thinking about, I went home, I walked into the house, went upstairs and saw my my adopted mom, she was in the bedroom, and I just blurted out, I miss my mom. And the look on her face, she just started crying. And she's like, how could you say that after everything we've ever done for mm. you? For you. And then I was, I I was so hoping she didn't have that. She wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> and so my dad was called home. He comes home. He takes me aside. He's like, why are you thinking about her? And I'm like, I don't know. I just am. I don't know why, but I just am. And that day, I completely took my natural mother and I just pushed her away. I'm like, I'm never going to talk about her ever again. I just can't. It's an unfortunate situation where, like I said, 
the information about adoption isn't out there. But on one hand, there was a place in my heart that I was like, okay, I, I know what's going on, but I totally pushed it down after that. It was just gone. It was really a turning point for me because it was like, now I'm just, it's like I stopped caring about stuff. Like I just kind of turned and I just remember, I just remember that. And I, that was just like a very, a missed opportunity. I feel for my adoptive family, or my adoptive parents to really connect with me. And I share that only because if there's an adoptive family listening to this, I hope they can take a moment. One of the things that kind of stands out for me in my whole life, I mean, two things. One is that I don't have a birth story. I have an adoptive story. Psychologically, that impacts you. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that nobody has ever asked me, what's it like to be adopted? I was always told I was adopted and given this adoption story, but no one's ever asked me what it's like to be adopted because those two... Those two experiences are completely different. There's just so much to be said when asked that because it's like, I would do anything to have a birth story. My birth certificate that was created that had my adoptive parents' name on it, the person who created that put January 1st for my birthday, which was probably the worst thing because Talk about every time I go to the doctor's appointment and they ask for my date of birth. Oh, you're a New Year's baby. Were you the first baby born? Like every time. And sometimes I go to places I have to tell my, I'm like, I cringe and I'm like, oh, please don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Is that your birthday or do you even know? No, it was, no. It was it, my birth certificate says on or about January 1st, oh, which boy. is horrific. Yeah. Yes. Like, <laughs> Horrific. What I want to speak on also is like trying to figure all this out as a child and an adolescent. It's nothing short of divine intervention that got me through that. Because how did I not get into things that I shouldn't have? To be honest, the amount of anger I've had carried and pushed down in like, it's just so much how I didn't get into trouble, more trouble or anything like that, or act out in any other way, I think is a sh nothing short of a, of a miracle for me. You know, the message is growing up to be grateful, lucky that I was chosen. And anytime that's said to me, it's like, I'm not lucky. I lost my mom. The day I was told I was adopted was the day my mom died. Yeah. The person who gave birth to me, the person who carried me in their womb. So stop it with that. You know, what I find in like in social settings, in terms of like friends talking about adoption, their first go to is like, oh, that's so amazing. That's so great. And as soon as I start talking to them about the difficulties, and it's like, yeah, but look at the life you have now. And it's sort of like, I just want to shake those fears. It's like, that's not the point. Or if I talk to someone and they know someone who's adopted and they're like, they're like, oh, that person is such a good person. I'm sure they are. But you're talking about somebody who is separated from their mother. Mm -hmm. It's very hard for society to understand the impact that separation of mother and baby has. There's a difference between bond and attachment. 
bond is a process that happens in the womb. That's the only place that a bond can happen where you're hearing the mother's heartbeat, where you're hearing her voice. That is a bond. An attachment happens. That happened between me and my adoptive mother. I had an attachment. I think that a lot of the experience I had was, oh, and that's the other thing when I was reading Journey of the Adopted Self, that the acting out behaviors, I certainly had them. Yeah. I used to, and when I was a, especially in elementary and middle school, I used to lie about the stupidest things. Like, did you take this out of, you know, like, did you do this? I'd be like, no. And I know what the answer is. It wasn't about me lying. It was that I needed to say the right answer so that I'm loved. Yeah. When I was told I was adopted, the idea of lovability was completely compromised because all I can think of is my mom had me and didn't want me. How is that even possible? And it's something adoption is not a one day event. It's a lifetime. It is a complete lifetime. But at any rate, I went to North Carolina and then I started working there and I had the itch and I ended up going to Peru and I worked at an orphanage, volunteered at an orphanage and taught English to the kids. I ended up, I was going to be there for three months. I ended up being there for about a year and a half because I loved it. And I was with my people. Like there were days where I just wanted to lay in the dirt and be just like this. I'm home. What was your relationship with your adoptive parents at mm -hmm. this point? A lot of times when I'd make these major choices, I would let them know after I made the decision to do it. (laughs) Like I said, I moved to North Carolina soon after I got back from Ecuador and I enjoyed the space. Like I, I was really becoming in my own body trying to find my own identity within this world. And, and again, what I experienced when I was in North Carolina, I ended up wanting to get therapy. I always like, there's been multiple times through this time period that I got therapy. And one of the last things I would talk about was that I was adopted. I always wanted to talk about it, but I never, I wouldn't do it. I would talk about what was going on and like, finding my own identity, the individuation process of adolescence and going through those years of like learning about codependence, relationships that didn't work out. Why didn't they work out? I did not associate in therapy. I didn't associate it at all with being adopted. We didn't. I wanted to stay clear (laughs) of that. And yet at the same time, I wanted to work in adoption (laughs) and I never did. I always skirted it. So I'm in Peru. I was there for, like I said, a year, year and a half. And on my way back to the States, I went to Colombia for the very first time. One of my coworkers, Peruvian coworkers at this job I had at the time in Peru, I told her the situation and she said, she's like, well, if you know your mom's name and you have a birth certificate, you should be able to find more information. And she's, and I said to her, my mom's name is made up. It's not real. And she looked at me and she's like, that's impossible. And I said, well, why is it impossible? She said, you can have a birth certificate to have no mom and no dad, and you could still have a birth certificate to make up a name. You can't do that. So I was sort of like this when she told me that, because it's like, it's what I believed my whole life. 
Long story short, she called the social services. I ended up going to Bogota and going to the social services to get my file to find out if I could get anything. I ordered a cab to take me there. I got in the cab, gave the instructions, and we started driving. And the cab driver is like, where are you going? And I said, Yanistar Familiar is called. It's like the social services out there. And he's like, this address doesn't exist. And I said, what? So this is all in Spanish, too. So I'm doing my best with Spanish. He's like, oh, are you trying to adopt? I said, no, I'm trying to get, I want, I'm adopted. I'm trying to get my papers. He's like, oh, you're getting your, he got so excited. He's like, we're going to find this place. He pulled over to like a bodega and there, the shops there, there's no front wall. It's all open. So you can see him. I I saw him walk in and he's making a phone call. He's like, I'm going to call my wife and I'm going to get the right address for you. He turned off the taxi meter. And I thought I was getting kidnapped. Like I was freaking out. And the other thing I noticed when I was doing this is that I got smaller and smaller. It was like I was becoming this little kid and I I became scared. I became nervous, like the butterflies in my stomach. He's like, we're going to find this. We're going to get there. And I had my hand on the doorknob. But when he was calling, I was like, should I trust him? I checked the door. It's open. it, It unlocked. Am I okay? He came back in. He gives me a piece of paper. And he's like, here's the address. I'm going to take you to it. We're going to get there. And I looked at it. And I was like, all right. So I'm still freaking out. We get to the location. And sure enough, we got to the social services, exactly where he said he was taking me. And I just wanted to just like, nothing else mattered. Like, what I found out at social services meant nothing. This man just made my day. I went from feeling really scared about being in Colombia, hoping that I won't have moments where I don't fit in or feel like just like I knew I wouldn't be able to find my mom. I don't have her name, like all these things. And all of a sudden this stranger. So we get there and he's like, I'm going to walk you in. I'm going to talk to the guard. I'm going to tell him why you're here. And then I'm going to walk you in and you can meet who you need to meet. And I was I was just like, I wanted a hug. <laughs> like, he was like my guardian angel. It was just so meaningful and so touched my heart. Talk about being seen yeah. in Colombia. So I met with social services and they said, we have a warehouse. And I don't think they used the warehouse because I don't know how to say warehouse in Spanish. But he's like, you have to like request it. I don't think, you know, like they were just very leery and Again, I was just so dumbfounded by what just happened that I didn't even care what this woman said. So I was I was probably there for like 20 minutes. I left, I went outside, and there was the taxi driver waiting. Aww. And he took me back to the hotel and I just gave him money. Like there was no most likely he was going to be asking for money, but there wasn't any meter. So I just gave him what I thought would be useful. You know, like it was just, it was amazing. I got back to my hotel and I opened the phone book and looked up my mom's name and her last name is Munoz. And there's like pages and pages. Yeah. So I was just like, okay. So I, I went back to North Carolina and fast forward. I decided to move to New York city in 2013. And when I made it to New York city, I, worked at a treatment center and 
there was just a day that a Saturday I was working and my boyfriend at, at the time, he's my husband now, but my boyfriend at the time he was working and I was like, you know what? I want to go see a movie. And so I opened like on my phone, like what movies? And there was a movie about India. And so I went to see it and it turned out to be Lion. I don't know oh, if you're familiar God. with that movie. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so right when he, you know, the scene where he's lost in yeah. India, I lost it. I just was crying like popcorn kernels in my teeth, like crying and like looking like a mess. And then when he was adopted, I was like, this is, I cannot believe I'm here. Like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. And I left the theater and I was just like, I, I need to get help about this. Like, I know there's, it's all still there. So I ended up getting in touch with Colombian adoptees in, in New York. And so I went to a meetup to talk with Colombian adoptees. And there was about eight of us about, we all met up at a Colombian restaurant in Queens. Jackson Heights is an area where there's a very big Colombian neighborhood. And I sat down and completely welcomed like, hey, this is my name. I'm from, you know, different parts of Colombia. And they'll tell their, their adoption story, like just a, like if they started their search, if they want to start their search. And so I met this guy, Eric. He was the guy there who was just like popped up and was like, welcome, you know. And he's like, oh, and this is my mom. And this is so-and-so, so-and-so. And so he's going down the table. I'm like, wow, his adoptive mom's here. That's pretty amazing. That's really supportive. So I sat down and I, I started talking to her. And I realized she only spoke Spanish. And I was like, it wasn't registering. And I was like, wait a minute. Is this his natural mother? that's sitting at the table next to him at an adoption meetup. And it turned out it was, and she had a friend with her. And I was just like, I just, I just, I remember just sitting there just looking at her. Like, this is amazing. This is like a lifetime story, you know, like this isn't real. So I did ask her, I said, so what was it like when he found you? And she looked at me, she said, there's wasn't a day I didn't think of him. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a day I didn't think of him. And I was just like, wow, that's pretty amazing. And, and so I, I shared my information with the other adoptees. And again, I'm always, my narrative is the name isn't real. And they're like, oh, that's okay. You know, you can serve your, your passport from Colombia. It can be your birth certificate if you don't have it. And, da, da, da. and I said, I don't have my birth certificate. I have a new one that has my adoptive parents so fast forward, fast forward, I ended up finding an adoption. I searched online, does anybody have a recommendation for adoption therapist? And that's when I met Joe Soul. He lives in Conjures, New York. He is an adoption that's his specialty. He's been doing this for 30 years. And he hosts chat rooms every night at 11 p.m., which is free. You just got to get in contact with him. He'll give you the link. And he also has healing weekends, adoption healing weekends, which lasts about three days. And you're in a healing weekend with other adoptees and first moms, natural moms, which I have attended three in total. And each time I go there, more is revealed. Like the natural mother that's in the room I, I literally just had one recently 
and I was sitting next to her and she was talking about what it was like when she signed the papers to have her daughter adopted. Uh, she's explaining this tearfully and she had her story and she was sharing and we we're all like, thank you for sharing this. And I just looked at her. I'm like, you do know you're the celebrity in the room. Like you are my mom. Like I'm looking at my mom right now. And through this process of meeting with Joe and, and doing these groups, I have like a huge network of adoptees and first moms. And the first moms are who I gravitate to because it's like, I hear my mom. I hear her. So back to networking, a woman, her name's Katie. She outreached me and said, hey, do you want help in getting your birth certificate in Colombia? My boyfriend lives in Colombia. He has access to get your birth certificate if you want it. I was like, of course wow. I do. Yeah, that's pretty. So, so long story short, I got my birth certificate. I saw my name in the registrar. You just get like your name, your portfolio number, and the date. And it was May 9th, 1979. I showed up at the orphanage or the foster home July. So May, June, July, that's three months. Um, They'd given you a January 1st birthday. So they aged you by five months, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that birth certificate was sealed and signed off by a judge and then also social workers. It had my mom's name, the same name that I was always given. So some things were happening for me. I was like, wait a minute. I thought the name was fake. I thought it was made up. The narrative for me changed. I, going back to when I was grown up, I always knew something bad happened. Like, I didn't come from a good situation. Like I always knew that. So when I saw my birth certificate, I was like, well, maybe she was just a teenager. Maybe she, you know, had a a relationship with someone who was married. Maybe I'm making it so much more complicated than it needs to be. What's your name? Ana Carolina Munoz. Mm. Her name was Rosa Munoz Lopez. A popular name, but the combination yeah. of the three are not is not popular. I was told that. How did your adopted mom know her name? Just a casual mention of somebody told her? So this was January of 2020. I went to a healing weekend with Joe and I was preparing to it took I took three months out of my life just preparing the search. And he told me he has a a moral and ethical responsibility for anybody he works with to help them prepare to not just go and search because you can find things that are going to be shocking, very difficult, and you need to prepare because he said, I've seen people just go and just search and find things and horrible things happen. You know, it's just, it was just too much. So he had a list of books I had to read. He had me go to chat. He asked me a lot of questions about what are the things that I can be revealed about my natural mother. One, she could be passed away. I could find a grave. Another, she might not want to talk to me. Another, she might want to talk to me. And that's just equally terrifying. Or she might want to talk to me and then not, you know, like all these things. So he took this time out of his, you know, you know, he's done this forever with me. 
He took time with me to prepare me. I prepared. March 2020, I'm ready to go and COVID hits. Uh, so March 2020, COVID hits. I'm so upset. So I was networking with my adoptive supports. And I met this woman named Alina, who is an, another investigator. And she said, you know, as things start opening up in Colombia, I could go to social services and I could send a letter requesting for your file and I can help you in that. So I had all the, like three pages of paperwork. They asked where I worked, if I have therapy, if my adoptive parents know that I'm searching, if I go to therapy, did I say that? Also, what am I hoping? Like, it was just like this questionnaire. And so Elena said, you know, there's a chance they'll say no. She's seen it where they will not give you your file. And did your adopted parents know you were searching? And you have to put that? No, that seems crazy. I'll be honest. Yeah. I, I said they did know. I, yeah, of course. I'll, I'll be honest. <laughs> and it all had to be written in Spanish. So it was a long process. And it was a joke to me because we're talking about 1979. We're, we're at 2020. Yeah, you're like, I, I'm an adult. I'd like to know who I am. I'm, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, they're not going to find anything. We're, this is 1979. Like, I was like, there's no way. So I sent it out in August to request. And in September is my anniversary. So I went on vacation celebrating. And it was like a week of me not checking my email. September 9th in the morning at three o'clock in the morning after being out all night, you went to a casino and everything. I checked my email and lo and behold was this email from her name was Maria at social services in Columbia with my file. And it was a file of over 90 pages. Wow. Yeah, and what's... so it encompassed every letter that my adoptive <sighs> parent sent them. It included all the home visits that were done, interviews of my brothers, my adoptive brothers, social services response to my mom, which is very few and far between. And then all of a sudden, there was court documents. And on it was my mother's name all over it. And I see words and I'm translating it in from you know Spanish to English. It's like uh, abandoned at a facility. Like it was just like broken up for me. So I was up for hours looking at it, thumbing through it and looking what I can read. My writing and reading skills are much in Spanish are much better than my speaking. So I was just kind of thumbing through it. And then I called, I emailed Elena the next morning at like eight. And usually we have to make an appointment to talk. And she, she called me right away. She said, we need to talk about this. Let me review it and I'll get back to you. And so she called me like an hour later and she said, there's a lot of sensitive information. So pause for a second. I didn't think there was ever going to be any information. And here I am listening to this information that I never knew. I'm about 42 years old and I'm being told about my mom for the first time in my life. It was in a third person. So people, the documents that I had was a court of parents where people had to vouch for me to become custody of social services in Colombia so that I can be adopted. And so there was the owner of a bar, the cook, and the security 
my mother showed up in a town called Perdera, which is about an hour away from Palmyra, where I was born. That's what it said on my birth certificate. She showed up at this bar and was in a play. And when she would show up at the bar, she would show up with me and the owner was not happy with that. So the other account was that my mom left me and went to a town called Dagua, which is about another hour away and came back three days later. And she kept me with the cook, the female cook. My natural mother asked the cook, will you please take care of my daughter? I cannot take care of her. Any help, basically. And she said, I can't. I, I travel too much. I'm, you know, I'm too old. She was in her 40s. And then she had my mom eventually left and left me there. How old, how old was your mom? Did they say in the documents? 20. 20. Mm. So jobs in Colombia, you don't have to provide a social security number. You don't have to register nothing. You could just start working. Most likely she doesn't have a social security. They call it Sedula number. So this is the first time I'm seeing this, hearing this, and I was just like blown away. And I kept on saying to Elena, I was like, how much is this is true? This could all be made up. And she said to me, she said, listen, we can go through this and question everything. But her experience is that it takes more effort to make up a story than Mm -hmm. to just say you found this child. Because that's all they have to say. They don't have to give this long story or an account or anything for me to become custody of social services. So she said people had to make up the story and everyone's story matched. She left you at the restaurant with the cook and like just took off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The owner called the cops and that's when the cook kept me for a little bit and Apparently, I wouldn't eat. She would like offer me some juice and I wouldn't eat. So she left you with a cook just for like a few days with the intention of coming back. And then she didn't. She just went out. She went out of Dodge, you know, like just took off. And like previous to this, she went to Dagua for three days. None of the people that did this account really liked her. She was talked about very poorly. And so Elena, when she, she showed me all this, I was just blown away. And I don't think I cried. I just was just, I couldn't believe it. Mm. And so it took me a few months because I had to sit with this for a while and like talk to people and get support. So the gentleman who got my birth certificate, his name is Jorge, Katie, Katie's boyfriend, who got my birth certificate. I got in contact with him and I showed him my documents and he said, okay, I'm going to go to Perdera and see what I find and talk to people in the neighborhood and see if anybody remembers anything. The outcome of that, he got in touch with me and said, I need to talk to you. Katie needs to be here because I need somebody who's going to tell you everything because we would communicate, but it was very like, we'd have to explain what we were saying. So Katie was there and she's like, well, I have some sensitive information I got to tell you. The place that she worked at was a place where part of the sex industry, where she was, she most likely was a sex worker. 
And the reason why the owner didn't like you there was because that's what was going on. It was like a bar, but also a place where prostitution took place. In Colombia, it's illegal. Jorge was like, I know this is really hard for you to hear, but I want you to know how common this is. And single moms have to make money. And this is how they do it. It's amazing. And this is where adoption is not one day. I believe that my body remembers it. Like I mm-hmm. was there. Why wouldn't I remember? I might not visually, like intellectually remember, but my body remembers. And, you know, the backtrack when I got my file, everything that Elena told me about what I went through and what my mom was going through, that explains everything to me. Why I felt so sad, why I felt so lonely, and why I yearned to talk about my mom and how much I missed her, because I knew I've always known. And that's the harm that a, the way adoption is it takes place is you're changing a human beings. Some people in my case was my name was changed. My identity was changed. I all of a sudden became Italian. My mom's Italian. Grandparents are Italian. We kept a lot of the Italian traditions, but I wasn't Italian. I'm Colombian. I didn't have the freedom to say I miss my mom when I did. That's where the harm is done. And, you know, one of the things that I say about adoption is, you know, I'm not someone who's going to like put their blinders on and say, hey, adoption should stop. Kids always will need help. Like there's always going to be children that are going to need someone to help them. And guardianship, Mm -hmm. where a child gets to keep their birth certificate, gets to keep all their information, their name. And visitation and awareness of family members, aunts, uncles, natural family, while living with another family that's going to take care of them, that and is culture. a huge difference. In culture. Yes, in culture. And so the day that I came to America, I lost everything. I didn't just lose my mom. I lost my culture. I lost my language. I've been to India. I've been to, obviously, Peru, Ecuador. Bolivia. I lived in Korea for a year. Each country I've ever been to, they they have their own scent, like their own smell to them. And so for an 18-month-old child that I was, toddler, I lost all of that in an instant. And it was like, what a beautiful story that is for the adoptive mother. And quite honestly, how I feel about what my mom went through, my adoptive mom went through, she wasn't told the truth of what she was walking into. She was told that this is going to be your daughter. And, you know, like the title of this article. Joy. Yeah. With no regrets. Right. Like bottom line is when you're adopting someone, you're adopting someone else's child. That's what it is. And you can't negate or substitute this process of adoption for that loss. I, I talk about it as an adoptee. Let's say my mother was injured or killed and I stayed in Columbia, whatever the case. If that was the case, what would happen is everybody would give that child so much empathy, Mm -hmm. care. I'm so sorry you lost your mom. This is horrible. Oh, she's going to need help. But in adoption, the same thing happens. I lost my mom. 
the person who gave birth to me, there's no acknowledgement of that. There's a substitution. And you're told not to acknowledge it. That's the. Yes. Yeah. It is different. Yeah. So, you know, like the experience I had growing up, you know, talking with Joe and getting therapy, we talked about free flowing anger and free flowing sadness. And that's basically what the experience was growing up. There's like this unknown discomfort. And my brothers, my adoptive brothers, I will say, not only are they great brothers, but they're great human beings. They're just great people. And I feel happy to say that they're my brothers. The experience that they had with their mom and dad was, there's my mom and dad, period, the end. And for me, my experience was there's my mom and dad, but my mom is in Colombia. I lost her. And there's like so, there's so many subtitles to that where my brain would just be on overdrive of everything that was going on, you know, wanting to be the good kid. I never had the thought of if I don't behave, they won't keep me. It was more if I don't behave, they won't love me. And if I don't feel loved, then what do I have? I already lost my mom. For a child to have to go through that. Do they now know about your search? Initially, they were very, very happy for me when I told them that I got my paperwork and I have this story, this narrative about my mom. And like the other thing I did was I talked about the similarities between my mom and I that she, I thought she was working at a restaurant. And it was like something that I did a lot in my life. But They were very, very happy, supportive. Towards the end of the conversation, my mom began crying and she was very tearful and said, if I could have been the one that gave birth to you, I would have wanted it that way. And I think my response to that, whenever she brings something like that up, I don't have a response. I don't have a response. And one of the things that comes up for me is it just goes to show going back to the triad, the natural mom, the adoptive mom and the adoptee, everybody has grief. Everyone's grieving and I cannot force that or I can't expect my adoptive mom to be able to see myself in where I'm at. I got to allow her to be in her space. And it might be just a circumstance where I, she just can't talk about it. It's too difficult. And for me, when I started this work and I started looking at my own story, it was very difficult for me. I, when Joe told me to read books, I would open the book and I'd read something that was totally relatable. And I just start crying. And I was like, I can't read it. And I would tell Joe, I can't. And he's like, just read one page at a time, and which is what I did. So I got to keep in mind my difficulty with it. And so when I say something to my mom that is true for me, it impacts her. I get it because it's so much. It's just so many emotions and so much loss. The hardest thing as a, as a child that I discovered is I had this belief that I wish it is. It was pretty hard when I realized this. Is I remember being a child, wishing that I hadn't survived the adoption process. Because if I didn't survive it, I wouldn't be in this feeling of feeling loss. 
And that is pretty major as a child thinking that. And so for me to share that with my adoptive mom, that's really hurtful. Like hurtful in the sense she doesn't want to hear that I was hurting. She just wants the best for me. She wants me to be happy. She doesn't want to. And she might take on because she adopted me. She's the cause of my pain, which isn't at all true. I have a lot of love for my parents. We both, both going back and towards each other, we love each other very much. This topic is very difficult because of the meaning behind it and the loss. Where are you in the search for your mom? So I was going to go to Columbia in February, but I had COVID. I had COVID in December. And then right before I was going to go, I was still testing positive. And this is when, in particular, New York was having an increase in cases, COVID cases. And then I talked to Elena, who was in Colombia. She's like, there's nothing going on here. And I said, yes, I understand that. But I'm in Colombia and I test positive. I'm going to get stuck there. Yeah. For They're going to want me to quarantine. Like, oh, this. So I just decided not to. But I am going to be going to all the places that my mom was at. I'm going to go to the town where she worked. I'm going to go to Dagua, Pilmira. And I'm going to talk to as many people as I can. To um, see if she's still a, like, yeah. findable. And have you done DNA or probably? I have. Oh, yeah. and that's the wonderful thing. <laughs> Let's give us some good yes. stuff here. Katie, <laughs> she called me one day and she's like, I got something to tell you. Katie is the girl who got me introduced with Jorge, who was my investigator. Turns out she's my cousin, oh. my biological cousin. Come on. Yeah, she's adopted from the same area that I was adopted from. She dove into a lot of her DNA and found, just in general, I don't really want to tell her story, but she did find some leads. Which are going to be in your leads. Yeah, I was going to say those are your leads. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently it's been somewhat of a dead end, but it's been wonderful because she's, anytime I talk to her, it's like, I'm talking to my cousin. And I found out that. I'm Colombian, Ecuadorian, and Mexican. I have that mix. And Ecuador, I lived in Ecuador. I mean, I yeah, time in Ecuador, I was just thinking so. that. And you, and you so had you that felt. when you went to the wedding and had that familiar feeling. Yeah. yeah. Some of the things I just wanted to talk about was abandonment and adoption. I've done a lot of work around abandonment. And I think, you know, like during adolescence, growing up, the word abandonment and the process of being abandoned or a relationship ending was detrimental because I would be experiencing abandonment. In the search of my natural mother, I can experience abandonment. Like if she doesn't want to talk to me or she's not willing. And my work around my own adoption, what I have learned about abandonment is that I can never be abandoned again. When someone's abandoned, that means they don't have food, they don't have shelter, and nobody's there to take care of them. That's abandonment. And that might have been the experience I had when I lost my mom. But as an adult, I can never be abandoned again because it's me who can take care of myself. I'll always be able to be able to take care of myself. So what I've learned in this process is that when a relationship ends, it's not abandonment. 
It's a loss of a relationship and it's sad. So I don't have to associate my experience of abandonment through the adoption with what's happening now. And that in itself has changed so much for me in that now I know that I don't have to be afraid of things ending. I don't have to be afraid if my mom does not want to talk to me because if she doesn't want to talk to me, it's not about me. Going to meet with her, to present myself to her, what happens for her and what will happen to me is that she will experience this encounter as if she's back being 20 years old. The trauma of what happened will happen and it might cause her, because it's so hard, to not be able to talk to me. She is not abandoning me. It's too much for her. Thank goodness you have your therapy. This is some deep stuff and really just the way your your outlook on it, that's such great preparation to to go in. Will you please keep us posted on what happens and stay in touch with us? I'll really be wondering, do you have any kind of time frame of when you think you might go? This fall. Oh, okay. That means that's going to come fast. I'll be, yeah. Yeah. Be going. And, you know, I'm, I'm very excited about it. My biggest message to, I hope that first adoptive moms, parents, Listen to this and get some insight about eye-opening experience of adoption in a way so they can support their child that they adopted. And I just really, that's like my main thing. And I'll end by saying, you know, like one of the things that is very important to me is that throughout my whole story in my life, those people who had me available to get adopted there's no blame in them. I understand why they made the choices they did. They did what they thought was best for this little child who was left behind. And so I have a lot of empathy for those people who were involved in my adoption because they didn't know. But today we do know. Mm-hmm. We do know like that's the difference. You know, what it's like, what it's like. We're hearing more from adoptees what it's like to be adopted. That's with the help of this this podcast that you you both have done over the you know I don't know how many years it's been but it's been one year <laughs> oh one year yes. okay I just you know you're literally like on the one year anniversary yeah month like <laughs> beginning of the month yeah one one last question for you you have a real birthday now May 9th is an anniversary for me I took the day off from work this year and just had it like a, a day for myself. It is the day that my birth certificate was created. It's not my birthday. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, we still don't know. It remains birthday. a mystery, which you yeah. ho- hopefully will find out. Yeah. And keep us posted. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I really, really, really loved having you on and loved hearing your story and your depth and your Thank you so empathy much. and wisdom and willingness. I just, it's really been great. It has. And what you said about abandonment will help a lot of people, I think, as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. yeah. I need to hear me that. Me too. too. Me too. It's not even just to do with my me. birth mother, but just every me too. It really yeah. Sarah and I will discuss that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming right. on. And, Thank and you so much. we look forward to hearing what happens after the Thank fall. Thank you so much.
Yeah, definitely. I'll keep you posted. Please Good. do. Okay. Bye. 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 Well, that was a very, very, very powerful story. And I learned a lot for myself. I did, I did too. Yeah. And just the more layered version of the international aspect of adoption and taking away one's culture and having that newspaper article. Oh, people should watch on YouTube because she actually has it. I'm going to ask her for a picture of that so we can Mm -hmm. post it. That was like mind blowing something about hearing how that was and her adopted mom getting excited because of it Mm -hmm. in the baby book. I know. I mean, you know, as she kept saying, it's different times and people didn't adoptive parents didn't have the information. But one thing that popped into my head was just thinking about that was probably around the time it was getting harder and harder to adopt kids here in America. Uh So, you know, got to keep those, that business going (laughs) really. I mean, I I, I hate to be so cynical, but I really, that's that's exactly what I thought. That's got to keep that business going somehow. Like, you know, when cigarettes were stopped advertising here, well, we'll go to Indonesia and, you know, I mean, it's that that kind of thinking. Yeah, it is that kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. And just, she had the depth to know at a young age, there's something when she was playing sports, but not feeling the happiness the way she Mm -hmm. described Yes, I related to that. That's, that's how I felt my whole life. Never, never feeling joy and happiness. Yeah. The way way she said it. Well, Sarah, this is a really what was it? <laughs> Another great episode. Another great episode. See you next time. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening today. And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at the Making of Me podcast. And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, find us at patreon.com searching adoption colon the making of me. Bye. See you next time.